Good morning. It's always this side. You all are always awake. I appreciate that. I know we got college students over here. Homecoming, I get that. Gosh, killing me. Anyway, speaking of homecoming, I hope you had a wonderful day yesterday. If you went to any of the homecoming activities, I hope the one you didn't go to was at the baseball field yesterday, because that's where I was. I had two goals yesterday, and I'll tell you what we do. Each year, the baseball alumni are welcomed back to Reagan Field, and you, you dig out your spikes, and you dust them off, and you see if they still fit right, and you go out there, and we take batting practice, which means that the coach is throwing, and we just hit. And everybody else is sort of in the outfield, and if the ball's hit right at you, you catch it. If not, you know, you, you let it go by. And one of the players from Murray State, they, well, you let them do all the running. They, you know, they do that. And so you, your goal going into something like that is twofold. Number one, you don't want to make a complete fool of yourself. That's goal, that's goal number one. Now, that's not the most important goal, because goal number two, don't pull anything, is the most important goal. Because if I had to take one over the other, I would, have, I would have made a fool out of myself to just make sure I didn't pull any muscles yesterday. So thankfully, I made contact with the ball, all right, after about seven or eight years of not having swung a baseball bat, and I didn't pull any. I'm a little sore, a little sore, but I didn't pull anything. So my goals were accomplished. And so we had a good time yesterday, and, and I know uh, during the ball game, of course, that was an interesting uh, time. I think uh, they, they only played one way. I think the offense was only allowed to get on the field. 72 to 59, that was it. And so, anyway, good, good day for Murray State. Good day to be a racer, obviously. And so, I know many of you participated in things. I saw some of you uh, from a distance at the ball game and so on. I hope you had a wonderful time. I hope today uh, will we'll be uh, another step along the way in just the, the, the life that God has, has promised us. Not a life of perfection, not a life, of, of, um, not a life that's, that's without problems. But a, but a life of abundance, nonetheless. And uh, we, we looked at that in, in our Sunday school class this morning. Just what does that life mean? What, what kind of life has God provided for us? And obviously, uh, in our lives, family is a big part of the life that God has designed for every single one of us. Whether or not you have a family right now, say, of your own, you are the product of a family, good, bad, or otherwise. And so family is something that is extremely important to each one of us. It's something that is extremely impactful on each one of us. And so as we've been in this series now just for the second week on, on family, it is something that, that affects every single one of us. Whether you are a young person and you don't yet have a family of your own, you will one day most likely have that sort of family. I was talking with the Callaway County High School football team on Thursday. I was invited to come and speak with them and, and have the chance to, to talk to them. And I I told them, my, my point was that many of them would be more prepared for their game Friday night than they would ever be for life. And I think that's the truth. Many of those guys in that locker room, just based upon being human, will be more prepared for each football game they play than for the issues that life will throw at them. I asked them how many were seniors. Several guys raised their hand. I said four years after I graduated high school, I got married. Four years after that, I had my first child. I said, you're foolish if you think it's not coming quick. If you think it's not going to be on you, and you're foolish not to be prepared. Family is something that whether you have one yet or not is going to affect every one of us at some point or another, and very rapidly your family will either change or be upon you. And so we, we welcome many of our college students here today, and I fully realize that's on your mind. It has to be. And if it's not, I hope that today it will be, but you won't ignore what God has for you. So for all age ranges, whether you are young or whether you're old or somewhere in between, family affects all of us. And so this series is not, not meant for people just in my life stage who have three young children and one on the way. 
we're not just talking to people like that, but to all age ranges who have impact and, and potential impact on families. And so I mentioned last week that one of the things that identifies our family that sort of epitomizes where we are in our stage of life is simply the word toys. Toys are everywhere in our house. Now, my sister came in town this weekend. We cleaned up most of the toys so that she would feel like that she could walk through the house. Unfortunately, most of the toys are probably going to be back out by the time that that they leave, but uh, toys are are what identifies us. It's amazing um, that that the amount of toys that my children have and so on. I was thinking, not only is it toys, and I brought out building blocks last week, but one of the things our kids are really getting into now are board games. They're getting to the age where they sort of understand a little bit about it. Now, we try to keep it very simple for them, but one of the games they like to play is called the Game of Life. Now, it's interesting how this all parallels with, with the sermon today. They love to play the game of life, and, and I don't know if you've played that game or not, but I used to play it quite a bit when I was a child. The game of life is really, uh, it's sort of a dumbed-down version of what life is really all about. It includes certain things that, that are included in life. You have to choose whether you will go to college or whether you will just start a career. And so based upon the random draw of a card, here's your career and here's your, uh, your, your salary. Now, some of you say, well, you know, that's about how my life played out. It's just kind of a random draw. Just pick something, you know. But that's the way that it, that it begins. And then you move from there uh, into where you go and get married. And you, you, in the game of life, you can't skip that step. Now, some of you say, oh, you know, that's awful, you know. But you can't skip the step of getting married in a game of life on, on, on this board game. And then you go, and along the way, you have chances to, to buy a home and to, to buy insurance for the home. That's really fun. And, and, and then you, you can buy stock, and you can do all sorts of things. And if you land on the right spaces, you can add children. And, and so my kids, they, they love to play the game of life. Now, now, Lucy is, is interested, my oldest is seven, she's interested in adding children to the car. That's what she wants to do. She tries to land on all the spaces to add kids. She just wants to fill it up, you know, and you got little pegs that fit in your small little car, and you stick them down in there, and you have blue and pink ones and, and all that. Lucy is interested in adding children. Now, Hank, my, my son, who's five, is interested in adding stock. He wants to buy stock all the time. Dad, can we buy some more stock? I don't know where he got that. I'm not really a, you know, a mover and shaker in the stock industry myself, but but he loves that, and he wants to buy stock after stock and stock. Nora, my youngest, she's now three. She just wants to collect money. That's it. It doesn't matter what she spends on the little spinning wheel. I just give her money. Here you go. You got more money. She's happy. Listen, it keeps her happy the whole game. Now, that will change probably next week. I have to come up with something different. But, but each one of them approaches the game of life a little bit differently. But the truth is they all start out the same. They all start out with their little car at the start start little piece, and they have one peg in it. They have one in it. Every single one of us, no matter how we have approached so far, life, real life, not the game of life, but real life, we have all started the same way. Some of us have added pegs to that car. You got married. You had children. Some of you have removed pegs from that car. You've, went through, you've gone through the awful tragedy of divorce and losing a loved one, wherever it may be. Your children now maybe have moved away. But we all start the same way, and the only, really, the only thing we can control is the one peg that we start with in the car. And that's what I want to talk about today, is each one of us as individuals, what will we do in relation to God, and in in, in turn, in relation to our families, whether they're here, gone, or whether we're about to encounter them, what can you do with the one peg that you start with? There's a great passage of Scripture that talks about that. If you've got your Bible handy, I'd like for you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians over in the New Testament, right in the middle of the New Testament. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote. 
Ephesians chapter 5. Now, as I mentioned, in the game of life, everybody starts the same with one peg in their car. And what you encounter next in real life is both scary, exciting, and sort of intimidating all at the same time. The truth is that as you add those things to life in real life, your family is only as strong as each individual person that's in your car, so to speak. Last week, we talked about God's plan for families. What is God's plan for us as Christian people, as people who are hoping to raise and to be a part of Christian families? And we saw that the foundational principle of all that is that you must choose God's plan over the world's plan. There is no in-between. Unless you are intentional about choosing God's plan for every aspect of your family, you are in turn and by default choosing the world's plan. Because you have to go all the way with God's plan or you are settling for something that the world has to offer. That's what we looked at last week. And so we saw in Joshua last week, chapter 24, where where he says at the end of his life, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He chose God's plan for his family. Now, obviously, there is great demise over family in general. We are experiencing, I think, an unprecedented change in what family means. We have uh, both internally uh, and externally forces that are operating to destroy the family. We have things from within, just our selfishness. We have things from without, uh, whether it be legislation or social pressure or whatever that may be, to destroy and to redefine what the family is all about. And so the goal of this series is not just to address some cultural issue and give you talking points so you can go out and convince your friends that you're right. It's really so we can go back to the Scripture and say, what does God have to say about how we should be members of and together as a family? And so that's the reason for this series. In Ephesians 5, uh, some of you are familiar with this. There was a wedding here not too long ago, and this particular passage of Scripture was referenced when it talks about uh, the mutual submission that is needed in relationships of husband and wife and family. And it talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And wives submit to your husbands as the church does to Christ. And parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the, the fear and the admonition, the King James says, of the Lord. And children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And And that all comes after the passage we're going to see today. Because I really believe that the passage we'll look at today sets all of that stuff up. Those are examples of healthy and right relationships. The Bible makes it very clear. You don't have to guess at relationships. You don't have to just figure it out on your own. If you're a married couple, you have a guide. You have a very simple way that you can have right relationships. If you're in a relationship with a parent or a child, there's a very simple way. But what sets all that up is each individual peg in the car, as we'll see, doing what they should be doing. So I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk or how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, this is talking to individuals. He hasn't gotten to the examples of the mutual submission between husbands and wives. He hasn't gotten into the parenting and child relationships. He hasn't gotten into the work relationships that he'll later talk about. What he's, what he's setting up is, here's for each individual person. 
here's what you need to be about. And so, as, as, as individuals, we realize there, there are no gimmicks in life to create the right kind of family. There's, there's no two-step, three-step series of things you can go through. They're, they're simply following God's Word. There's no gimmick. And if you want a strong family, there are obviously no shortcuts to getting there. You must, as an individual person, you must follow the principles and the commands that Paul writes about in these particular verses. And so I want to start this morning with a guiding principle that we'll hash out and we'll continue to come back to. Get this in your mind. Here's today's guiding principle. The building blocks of a Christian family are individuals who are careful to live wisely and be filled with God's Spirit. He's going to go on and give us examples of what this means, but here's what he lays the foundation. The building blocks of Christian families are individuals who are careful to live wisely, he says, and to be filled with God's Spirit. What kind of individual should you be? You should be an individual, should you desire to live in a strong Christian family, to have a strong Christian family, you should be an individual that is one who is careful to live wisely and to be filled with God's Spirit. So I guess some questions that come to mind are, do you want, really, and I, I, I challenge you to answer these, not out loud, but just in, in, in honesty with you and God, do you want a family? Do you really want a family that loves Jesus and sticks together when times get tough? In our world today, and even in our church today, the church as a whole, and, and even, I'm sure, Elm Grove is indicative of that, I, I really sometimes question how many of us truly want a family that loves Jesus that will stick together when times get tough. Because so many families don't. As we looked at last week, it comes to a point of decision. Do you really want a family that loves Jesus, that sticks together? Do you want to raise children that don't wander from the Lord when they get older? Do you want those kinds of children, or do you just want them to be good people? There's a difference. There's a huge difference between a good person and a lover of Jesus Christ. A huge difference. We produce a lot of really good people. But rare is it the family that produces people who love Jesus. Do you want to see your marriage be more of a joy and less of a job. Some of you are obligated and you're committed, I guess, in some ways, but it's a job to be married to that person. Now, don't elbow your spouse if they're here, okay? All right, now don't go and, you know, and talk to them about it later on. But, you know, the truth is, some of us would say, I really want my marriage to be more of a joy. Well, it's just an obligation right now. It's just, it's, it's awful. And we put on a good face so nobody at church knows what's going on, but, man, we're struggling. Do you, if you're a single person, if you're an unmarried person, do you hope that one day you'll have the type of marriage that you envision and that you dream about? Do you really want that to happen? I know that from early on, you know, young ladies try to plan their weddings and what life is going to be like. And the guy who rides in on the white horse, and here he comes, and somebody's got this long, flowing hair. Guys like that drive me nuts. You know, I've got no hair at all. And why can't it be some, you know, half-bald guy? You know, it's never in the picture. But anyway... We're way off subject. Um, but, but the truth is that we, we have, and, and, and young ladies are, are notorious, they have this picture of what life is going to be like. You know, we're going to have, you're going to be married, and what's the average? 2.5 children. You have your 2.5 children, your little, you know, white siding house, and, the, you know, the, oh, I mean, that's just what we picture. Now, guys, we have, you know, envision our mind as well, things that we think marriage is, is going to be about. You're going to have this woman who adores you, that, that is at your beck and call. And she, I mean, she literally, she lives every moment of every day to please you. That, that's not, there's nobody in here who has a marriage like that? I was hoping somebody, I don't, but I, you know, I was hoping somebody would. 
But you know, the truth is, we all have these things that we envision, whatever they may be, however you know, grandiose our ideas are of what marriage and family will be. But if you're a single person, but do you really, 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 do you want what God has for you? Really? Or do you just want to kind of figure it out? You just want to kind of, well, I'll just ease my way into that. Or do you really want to be intentional about what God has for you in a marriage and in a family? As a young person, do you want to see more peace in your home? But what a tragedy it is for our young people to see families torn apart. And if they're not torn apart legally, they're torn apart internally at least and ripped apart by ongoing arguments and discontent. As a young person, do you want to see more peace in your home instead of maybe the craziness that you witness on a regular basis? The truth is there's no, there are no gimmicks to make all that stuff happen. You must simply purpose to be an individual who lives wisely and is filled with God's Spirit. Now, I'll tell you this. As well, this isn't one option among many. God is not a God of many options. God is a God of one option. And the one option is His way. That's it. That sounds really, really suffocating for those of you that have been liberalized and now you're an individual who has freedom. Now listen, if you're that person, hence the, you know, there's some sarcasm in my, my voice because you play that out, it never ends. The truth is, in God's plan, according to God's one solution, God's one option, there is true freedom, there is true benefit, there is true blessing, not what the world has to offer, which is temporary, the Bible says, and fading away, but there is life everlasting in the plan of God. The problem of sin, God said, is solved by one solution, and that is Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sin and offers us a free gift of salvation for those who believe in Him. The problems in marriage and in family, God provided a solution. Live wisely, be filled with His Spirit. That's the one solution. And His solutions, as I mentioned, are far from being limiting. Instead, they are completely and absolutely sufficient for whatever issue you may face. Jesus completely paid for sin and completely satisfied the wrath of God against sin. He completely saves those who believe. Regarding family... The solution of God is completely sufficient sufficient to provide all that you've ever desired, all that you've ever dreamed of. The truth is, His solutions, they cannot be followed halfway. You must completely submit to His solution, or you're not really submitting at all. So we have to start with God's solutions. We can't start with what we think or what we feel or what our gut tells us. We have to start with the objective, never-changing, Word of God. God's solutions for families is that individuals would be careful to live wisely and to be filled with His Spirit. So you consider this principle, this idea of living wisely and being filled with God's Spirit, and it's easy to see because so few people live that way. It's easy to see why our society is in the shape that it's in. I'm not here to give you statistics, but you know as well as I do that we have chosen other so-called solutions instead of those that are provided and commanded by God. We've chosen in our sin to rationalize it, to ignore it, to figure that being good will earn us a spot in heaven, that a loving God certainly would not send anyone to hell. And we've missed God's one solution, His one command, to be saved through Jesus Christ. Regarding the family, we've chosen selfishness and individualism, which are great marks of our society today, unfortunately, and instead of Choosing God's plan for love and commitment and mutual submission, we've chosen the world's plan. The results are very plain. The results are very clear. We have a nation full of people that, that think they're going to heaven. 
but have not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ, placed their faith and trust in Him, believed in Him for salvation. We have a nation full of broken families who now think that's just normal, that that's just to be expected, that that's just the path you take. And, oh well, what a shame. We can reverse it. We can do something about it. This is not a message of bad news today. But the truth is that we have to begin as individual people with the choices we make, seeing ourselves as those individual pegs in the car, building blocks of families, which is what the building block of society is all about. So before we talk about marriage or parenting, Paul leads us here to think of our lives as individuals who live wisely and filled with his spirit. He talks of two main things, as we've already referenced. The first is to live wisely in verses 15 through the beginning of verse 18. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk or how you live. That word walk there simply means the path of your life, the pattern of your life. Pay careful attention, he says, to the pattern of your life. Don't live as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the, will, what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, he says, which leads to reckless action, but be filled with the Spirit. So we get the first part, live wisely. Now, what does that mean? What exactly is he talking about? Well, the first thing he mentions is carefully consider how you spend your time. Carefully consider how you spend your time. You show me a person who is careful with the time they spend, not a waster of time, not a person who spends time on things that are unfruitful, and I'll show you a very wise person. And in this room today, based upon just being human and being a part of American society, we probably, according to that principle, have very few wise people in this room. And somebody said, hold on just a second. Are you calling me a fool? No, that's not what I'm calling you at all. I'm saying that in our society today, it's rare to find someone who is careful with how they spend their time. If you were to be honest and take a real inventory, maybe this week you just followed, write down exactly how much time you spend doing whatever it is you spend doing. You'd be surprised. Listen, I would be shocked to find out how much time I waste, how foolish I am with my time. Paul says, pay careful attention to how you walk. Don't be unwise, but live as wise. And then he gives an example, making the most of the time. Carefully consider how you spend your time. The truth is, time is the most valuable thing that you and I possess. But it's also the thing that's most easily wasted. Christian individuals obviously are not to view, to view their time as under other individuals do, as other people do. We're to see it as something that should be invested for God's purposes, for His desires. This, this idea of living as wise and making the most of the time really carries with it the connotation of someone who has a purpose and an intentionality about the way they live. They view their leisure time as something to be enjoyed, but it's not their top priority. They view their work time as valuable and necessary, but it doesn't consume them. You and I, obviously, according to what Paul says here, must prioritize our time in such a way that we become the people that God wants us to be. That our families become what they ought to be. And that takes time. Both time with God and time with each other. So, someone who wants to live wisely must carefully consider how you spend your time. Secondly, you must concern yourself with God's intent for every detail of your life. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We speak of God's will, and we think it's some nebulous, far out, way big umbrella kind of thing. Well, I hope one day I figure out what God's will for my life is. Maybe I'm living in God's will, maybe I'm not. Sort of a church cliche we throw around, but he says, don't be foolish, 
but understand it. Some of us in this room have been searching for years trying to figure out what is God's will for my life. What Paul's talking about here is not that big idea of God's will, but the every day, minute by minute, what would God have me do in this moment with this attitude, with this person, with this thought? That's God's will that He wants us to understand. He says, concern yourself with God's intent for every detail. It's not merely an umbrella over our life. It relates to what we do minute by minute. It implies that we are able to understand and make decisions based upon what biblically is right and wrong. Every minute of every day, you count them this week, you will have numerous opportunities to either do God's will or disobey God's will, and it will come down to your ability to make a decision based upon what the Bible says is right and what it says is wrong. Those who live in God's will make decisions based upon what the Bible says is right and what the Bible says is wrong. Not a gut feeling, not an emotional response. That's what following and understanding God's will is all about. That's what keeps our lives on target, and that's what will eventually produce the types of families that we so desire. Thirdly, he says, avoid indulgence and waste. Avoid indulgence and waste. What does he say in verse 18? Do not be, it says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we'll save the discussion on alcohol for another day, but suffice it to say he is talking here about those who spend their lives in indulgence and waste. He talks about drunkenness. And of course, we know that, that without a doubt, though other areas may seem to be gray areas for us, without a doubt, drunkenness is sin, period. Spelled out right here, makes no difference what you feel about it, how much you like it, whatever it may be. It's spelled out in God's Word that it's sin. So there's no question about that. But ultimately, what he's symbolizing here, aside from the specificity of drunkenness, he's symbolizing indulgence and waste. Because drunkenness, if you think about it, is the epitome of a wasted life. Somebody who's just wasting life away, not, not being in any control of themselves whatsoever, having no direction in life, that's what he's talking about. And he provides here, obviously, a contrast between don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Getting drunk with wine, he says, leads to reckless action. Some of your versions may say debauchery. A fancy word for not really good stuff that you don't want anything to do with. You know what I mean? Stuff that is unfruitful and leads to, to serious consequences. You just don't, don't do that. He says, but be filled with God's Spirit, which produces nothing but goodness. Drunkenness is the symbolic, is totally symbolic, rather, of foolishness, of a loss of direction, and of complete waste. And so any indulgence or waste is unwise and it's ungodly. He says, live wisely. Carefully consider how you use your time. Concern yourself with God's intent for every detail of your life. And avoid indulgence and waste. So living wisely involves those things. And he says not only that in this passage, that those who want to be in strong Christian families, you want to be an individual that one day has that, or you can fix what's going on now. He says live wisely, but he also says be filled with God's Spirit. Now this is a little bit confusing. Verse 18, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we swing from the chandeliers and we do crazy things that, you know, we might have seen in movies or TV and we get knocked down? And what do we do? You know, I mean, what does it mean to be filled with God's Spirit? Does it mean craziness? You know, I mean, doesn't it mean just completely out of control? And far from it, it means something very, very different. This is not a command to have the Spirit come upon you in some particular way. But it's to be filled with the Spirit that already lives inside every believer in Jesus Christ and to be filled in such a way that your life is forever different, not that you swing from chandeliers and foam at the mouth, but 
that your life is completely different than it's ever been. Let me give you some ideas of what this means. The connotation here has the idea of God's wind in your sails. God permeates every aspect of life, and God has total control. Now, the one word that you've written down three times now, if you're filling in the blanks on the back of your bulletin, is God. It is life that is all about God's work in and through you. That's what life in the Spirit is all about. God's wind in your sails. You think of a ship that catches the wind and is, it is directed toward a specific location. The Holy Spirit living inside of us, when we are filled with His Spirit, guides us, directs us, counsels us, leads us, steers us, pushes us if need be, and urges us toward the destination that God has for us. God permeates every aspect of life, sort of like a seasoning or a marinade. Maybe you've, maybe you've had steak before, or chicken, or whatever, whatever, your, whatever your favorite is, and you've done it right. You soaked it for 24 hours in the greatest marinade that you could ever come up with, and you put it on the grill, and you cooked it to the right temperature, and it is, this side of heaven, heavenly. You know what I mean? I mean, it's unbelievable. Because the marinade has gone through every part of that particular piece of meat or chicken, whatever it may be. And when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it has the same connotation. Not only are we, we, we have God's wind in ourselves, who's directing and guiding and leading us, but we have God permeating every part of our lives, every aspect of life, so that nothing is off limits to Him, that it all gets filled up with Him. Every aspect of life is blessed by God when we live according to His Spirit. God also has total control. Now, this is in direct contrast to the lack of control exercised by someone who, Paul says, is drunk with wine. As a believer in Jesus, I know I'm no longer under my own control. Paul would, would, would write in another letter, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am no longer my own. I have given up control of my life. Now, some of us look at that as a loss. Well, I'm going to miss out on this. I'm going to miss out on that. Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, I have come so that they may have life in abundance. We don't lose. We gain. We gain for all eternity. We gain here as well. God has total control. So being filled with the Spirit is not an emotional, falling out kind of experience. It's simply a command for everyday living that we would have God's wind in our sails, that God would permeate every aspect of our lives, that God would have total control. That's what being filled with the Spirit is. How then does it happen? Well, first of all, we confess sin. The Bible makes it very clear that the one thing of all that will interrupt our relationship with God more than anything else is unconfessed and open sin in our lives. So how do you go about being filled with God's Spirit? Well, the first thing is to confess sin. The second thing is to die to self. You die to self. It's the humble, dependent person that can be filled with God's Spirit. It's only one person, a person who's emptied of himself or herself, that can be filled and guided with the Spirit. You confess sin, you die to self, and then, very simply, you walk one step at a time with Jesus. For some of us, we don't like that because we're very impatient people, and we just want to get to the destination. Well, the destination has already been set, if you're a believer in Jesus. The destination is eternal life in heaven with Jesus. The destination is not next week, an appointment you have. The destination is not getting that degree. It's not, it's not accomplishing something. The destination has already been set. We are simply on the journey, for however long God allows us to be here, to get to the destination. And so it's one step at a time with Jesus. That doesn't mean that you have no direction in life. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't set goals for what you do here on earth. But it just means that my life is about surrendering my will 
surrendering my direction to the Lord's will and the Lord's direction each day in every situation. That's how I'm filled with God's Spirit. And here are the results. Paul says, we have overflowing joy. Verse 19, he says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart. There's something about being filled up with the Spirit of Jesus Christ that overflows in your life regardless of the situation. And Paul says it often manifests itself here in music and singing. David, the great psalmist, perhaps the model worshiper in all the Old Testament, wrote song after song after song, new stuff according to new tunes and so on, that just sort of bubbled up from within, within him and spilled over it. He couldn't help but write it down and sing praises to God. This is speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your hearts. It bubbles over. There's overflowing joy in your life. He also says, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's gratitude in all situations. Imagine that for just a second. Some of us, and I tell you what, I'm guilty of this quite often. We have anything but gratitude in all situations. We have a why me. We have a pity party. We have all those things that are perfectly and naturally human, but are out of line for God's people. He says you can be gracious and grateful in all situations. Boy, a perspective that the world simply cannot explain. I'm amazed at people that I know of, both in this church and other friends and so on, who have gone through such incredible and challenging circumstances, and yet they are grateful for who God is and what He has done. I'm amazed by that. You know why they're like that? You know why families can face really, really difficult times and not split up and remain grateful and remain committed to one another? Because they're filled with God's Spirit. And he says another result of this, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Another result is right relationships. And of course, as we talk about family, that's our goal, is right relationships in the family, in the marriage. And he says... Mutual submission, submitting to one another. And then he'll go on, as we'll look at over the next several weeks, going to give us examples of right relationships between husband and wife, between parents and children. He'll give us those examples. But he says, if you'll be filled with the Spirit, if you'll live wisely, one of the results will be that in your marriage, in your family, and everywhere else, you'll begin to see relationships healed and put back together. So I go back to my original question. Do you, regardless of your stage of life, as a grandparent, do you want to see this in the lives of, of your children and grandchildren, even in your own marriage? As a parent, do you want this to be the, the course of your home? As a young person who maybe is still single, do you really, really, really want what God has for you in a marriage and in a family? Do you want a family that loves Jesus? Do you want a family that sticks together? God has provided one solution. It is sufficient. It is perfect. It is flawless. You'll never want another one. But that one solution requires that we live wisely and that we be filled with His Spirit. Each individual peg in the car must do that. You can only work on one of those. And you must start with yourself. You must be an individual who commits to live wisely to be filled with God's Spirit. That's His solution for families, for individuals. Now, speaking of individuals, there was a guy who came to Jesus in John chapter 3 named Nicodemus. An individual guy seeking what it meant to be saved. 
what it meant to inherit. He says eternal life. Jesus says you must be born again. You must be changed. You must have spiritual life where there is now spiritual death. You must, the Bible says, be born again. He asked him, Jesus, he says, how can a man who's already been born be born again? Jesus obviously was referring to spiritual birth. Spiritual birth is not automatic. We are all born spiritually dead. Though we have life in our body, we are, we are dead spiritually. How then do you gain spiritual life? How can you be, the Bible says, completely made new and guaranteed a spot in heaven? The Bible says it's by no effort of our own. It's not by our own works in Ephesians 2, but by God's grace through faith. God's grace has been manifest in Jesus Christ. He's given His grace. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin, our spiritual death, so that we, through believing in Him as the Son of God, can receive spiritual life. In John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus, in His response to Nicodemus, says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, will not die, will not have spiritual death for all eternity, but will gain eternal life. What's the key word? Whoever believes. It's not whoever is good. It's not whoever tries really, really, really hard. It's whoever believes. So maybe today you look at your individual life and you see one of a couple of things. Maybe you see a life that's spiritually dead. You know you have never believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as your Savior, as your Lord. You've never believed in Him. And today you say, you know what, Jesus? And I believe that You are the Son of God. I believe that You died for my sins. I believe that You were raised again. And I believe in You as the only way for salvation. Maybe that would be your prayer to the Lord today. Or maybe as an individual, you look at your life and you say, you know what, I'm not living wisely. I may be a Christian, but I'm not filled with God's Spirit. I want for me and for my family that to be the case. So wherever you are in your stage of life, as an older person, as a middle-aged person, as a younger person, as a married person, as a widowed person, as a divorced person, as a, as a child, as a parent, whatever you may be today, you say, you know what? My peg in the car, I'll be someone who lives wisely. I'll be someone who's filled with God's Spirit so that I'll have the opportunity to be that building block for a Christian family that God blesses and God works for. Let's pray together. You've heard the truth from God's Word, not from the preacher. Directly from God's Word that if you want to be a part of, whether now or in the future, or as an extension, to be a part of a strong Christian family, to take hold of the life that God has for you in your family, there is but one solution, and that is to live wisely and be filled with God's Spirit. You don't have to jump through hoops today to make that happen. You simply tell the Lord, that's what I want to do. God, make me that person. You surrender to Him. And you let Him work through your life in such a way that He'll do it. He'll make it happen. Perhaps you're a person who, as I mentioned, needs to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation for the very first time. 
there are no magical words other than to say, I, I believe. I give you my life and I receive your forgiveness. Believe in Him, the Bible says, is the Son of God, the one who was raised from the dead, and you'll be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin, hell forever. Saved from the power of sin, a defeated life. You'll be saved from all that. So what does your response need to be today? For you as an individual, for you in a family, for you in a future family, what does it need to be? I pray that you live wisely, that you be filled with God's Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. We do pray for those families this morning, Lord, that are struggling. Pray, Lord, that you give them the power and the strength to admit and come to grips with their unwise living, their lack of being filled with your Spirit. And Lord, today would be a turning point. But they would say, today and tomorrow and each day, I will, I will live wisely. I will be filled with God's Spirit. Or for those young people who are not yet married, I pray they not wait till marriage to begin to do these things. But they as individuals, as single people, would be folks who live wisely. We're filled with God's Spirit. Lord, make us a church where families, whether they are broken or together, will have the chance to see you and be healed by you and set on a new path. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.